Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Diana Finch, Managing Director of Bristol Pound, and Erin B. Taylor, Consultant, Researcher, Writer, Anthropologist, and Host of the Fintech Stream of the Anthropology and Technology Conference, happening on October 9th, 2020. As the host of the Fintech Stream, Erin takes us through the setup and gives us some hints on what to expect. Diana, as one of the speakers on her panel, gives us a preview of her talk and takes us through her innovative work on circular economy and local money, together with the challenges that come with it and the research still missing to make it work better. How can money save humanity? How to stop pointless purchases and turn to a different kind of economy in which products and services are about value and not just price? Localization of money is a way towards creating a more ethical and sustainable consumption, and Bristol Pound is on a mission to make it happen. At the end, both share their expectations of the conference and those in attendance. We hope you enjoy it. Hi friends, we are here today with Diana Finch and Erin B. Taylor. Hi Diana, hi Erin. Hi Corinna. Now, before we go into kind of like the meaty part of this uh, podcast episode, Diana, I would like to I, I would like to ask you to to tell us a little bit about yourself and your and your journey so far. Okay, so I, I'm I've been working in nonprofits really since about the year 2000. You know, I just decided um, after you know the first bit of my career and then having children. Um, and I guess while the children were small, I got involved in quite a lot of volunteering community work, community development work, trying to save the school that the kids went to uh, and generally you know, getting things going in what was kind of a deprived neighbourhood. Uh, and so that made me think, yes, I, I'd like my work to, to be meaningful, you know, to create value um, for the community and for the environment. Uh, so, yeah, I've worked in nonprofits in the environmental sector, in mental health, in social care. And uh, and then when the job came up at the Bristol Pound, I just thought this is fantastic because my whole background had always been accounts. And so this was numbers and money and social and environmental impact all wrapped into one job. So it, it was just the dream job for me. Nice. And have you worked so far with social scientists or with anthropologists in, in your um, in your trajectory? No, not really. Um it's been very interesting the way I came across this. I was invited just to a little meeting with, with Dawn um, and she said, you know, actually, I think you're exactly the right kind of person to come and talk because um, the problem is that if it's left just up to technologists to fix all the problems, they won't be coming at it with that same depth of understanding of mm -hmm. humanity um, because, you know, the problems we find ourselves in, these are problems that have evolved because of who humans are and how humans interact and the systems they set up. You know, it, it's deeply systemic and deeply human. So, you know, I completely get that. Yeah. 
And for those of our listeners that do not know who Don is, Don is the organizer of the Anthropology and Technology Conference. Um, we're now in the second edition, and uh, Diana is one of the speakers. So um, yeah. I'll hand it over, I think, uh, to Erin from now on, to kind of dive deeper into your work with, um, with uh, Bristol Pound. Hey, thanks, Karina. And uh, thanks, Diana, for agreeing to uh, this excellent podcast and, of course, agreed to speak at the conference as well. Um, we agree that your um, your position and your knowledge is really interesting and so relevant in terms of what you do uh, with the Bristol Pound, especially uh, and thinking about the future of money in relation to humanity and how it can serve humanity rather than just act as a means of exchange or as accumulation. Um, so I guess my first question for you is that, the Bristol Pound is nearly eight years old now. Um, what would you say are its social and economic goals and how have they changed over time? So I'd say the, the goals um, haven't really changed. I and mean, the goal is to create um, an economic system that is greener, fairer and stronger. I'll just unpack that a little bit. So by economy, I really want to talk in the broadest possible terms. You know, for me, the economy isn't just about the market. It is about the entire project of there are resources and there are people and we need to somehow find mechanisms to share the resources effectively with the people, hopefully in an equitable way. Now, if that's the aim and to do that, by the way, in a sustainable way, such that you know, each generation is not taking more than its fair share and is living within the planetary boundaries. Um, now, if that's the aim of the economy, clearly we're not doing so well at the moment. Um, and um, so the, that aim of to create a, an economy that is fairer, so more equitable, um, greener, more sustainable, you know, more respectful of, of the, the planetary boundaries uh, for, to maintain an ecological system that will support both us and other life. Uh, and then more resilient, um, stronger. You know, this means we need to be able to make our meet our own needs um, as communities without relying on an infrastructure that we have seen through several shocks in recent years is actually pretty uh, unstable. You know, there was the financial crash and now there's the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And these things completely disrupt um, any community's ability to meet its own needs because we have been hooked into these global systems um, that are actually very fragile um, and volatile. Um, and you know, what, what we need actually is to regain uh, a connection with locality so that so that we can um, yeah be more resilient, meet our own needs, be less reliant on on long winded supply chains um, that, that can so easily break down. So the, the aims have not changed at all. However, the, the how is is changing quite rapidly, I think, over the next six months uh, or so. Um, we've learned a lot by operating the Bristol Pound for eight years. Um, I mean, the, the, the mission we started off with in terms of trying to localise the economy was getting out a message um, and hopefully a mechanism that would help people to shop locally and help those local businesses to also treat um local suppliers, you know, in preference in their supply chains. So we had this model of people sort of opting into a currency, putting liquidity into a currency pot, if you like, and that money then circulating quite rapidly through, you know, a core of small independent businesses in Bristol. Um, and in that way, 
it would create a kind of, you know, one a fantastic network of small businesses who were working together. I'll scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. That kind of, you know, really uh, nice uh, supportive atmosphere for small business, you know, really recognized by people and, you know, and, and preferred by people. But, um, I think it, it, you know, Project Bristol Pound, if you like, didn't, didn't achieve as much as we hoped. Initially, signs were really good, but, um, after the first four years, some of that behavior around engagement and usage of the Bristol Pound started to drop off. Um, I was brought in in 2018 um, to really look at why, why had this downhill or plateauing and then downhill, why had that started to happen? And um, shall I just carry on? I feel like I'm on a roll, but maybe there were other questions you wanted to, to ask. Please continue. <laughs> OK, OK. So um, so the idea um well, what I found really when I when I looked at what was going wrong was initially it was partly about the messaging. So we had set up a brand that was very pro Bristol, very kind of rah, 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 pro this and anti that, you know, do go to local businesses, don't go to Tesco and the like. You know, it was very campaigny, very strident and was probably it spoke to people who already thought just like us. So people who are already probably shopping local and thinking a lot about their carbon footprints and thinking about economics and life generally at a deep level. We did some research in, I think, 2016 and found that 18 percent of our individual members had PhDs. You know, so this was we were speaking to an elite, if you like, that had already, you know, already climbed the mountain and seen the light and they were going to they were going to jump on board. But that isn't really the way we're going to change the world. If we're going to change the world, we have to set the bar to entry very low and then take people on a little journey, not set the bar to entry very high and, you know, and and uh, and just speak to people who already think like us because they're already doing it. So as a result, we had grown very quickly at first because we had got all those usual suspects on board, you know, for, for this kind of work. But we seemed very irrelevant, you know, to I don't know, a mother of three living on a on benefits or a very low income uh, uh, with quite limited time. You know, I've got to get the kids food. I've got to do it in half an hour flat. Uh, and, you know, I don't have time to go around four different you know, artisan, all the bakers and the butchers and the candlestick makers and, you know, and maybe pay over the odds as well in each of those shops because they're small and whatever. And they don't have the buy one, get one free offer. And I don't get to use my store points. And, you know, all of all of this kind of thing. We, we were just we just seemed irrelevant, frankly, to to the vast majority of people in the city. Uh, and even we maybe sounded a bit judgmental about them, which is not a great way to make friends and influence people, you know. Uh, mm. And in terms of what we had to offer the businesses as well, I mean, I think the messaging there was, you know, had been very much around, we're going to bring you loads of new customers to your door. But actually, we didn't particularly because the people, um, you know, the people who were shopping locally joined us and continued to shop locally. And maybe some of them then paid in Bristol Pound. But the businesses weren't seeing a huge increase uh, in footfall. And they started to think, hang on, I've got to train all my staff on another till or you know, another point of sale system, if you like. Um, I've got to talk to my bookkeeper and make sure that she knows how to set up supplies that are Bristol Pound supplies differently on zero or QuickBooks or whatever, and then do these separate payment runs. And you know, it's all 
quite complicated. I've got to manage the cash flow through two different accounts. Uh, and, and as well, the thing we didn't expect, I think, was we thought, oh, yes, small businesses will get paid in Bristol pounds. And the first thing they'll think is, oh, how can I spend my Bristol pounds? You know, let, let's look in this directory over here and, uh, oh, look, you know, I could buy this nice thing here. But that isn't actually how small businesses operate. You know, uh, small businesses join the Bristol pound fully formed with a supply chain. Uh, and, you know, if I'm, I don't know, let's say I'm the office manager and you know, my job on a Friday afternoon is to get all the invoices in the post. You know, that's that's what I've got to achieve. And so I've got until three o'clock. My printer has just run out of toner. You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to pick up the phone to Bob, who always has our toner and he's a real sweetie? He's, you know, he, he's always prepared to jump in his van and drop it round. And I know I'll hit the post. Or I ring the bookkeeper and say, is there any money in the Bristol Pound account? Oh, there is. Oh, OK. I'll look down this list. I'll try this. Set of, oh, no, they don't. I'll try this one. Yeah, no, they, I, I'm just not going to spend that time, you know. And those are the sorts of real life problems that I think stopped people engaging with the Bristol Pound in the way that we would have liked. And as a result, yes, it's been lovely. And, and in terms of getting the message out there about shopping local, I think it's had, you know, I think it's had a good impact from that perspective. But that's more of a you know, a PR comms job rather than the job of the of the, the actual circulation of the currency. The impact on Bristol's economy of the actual circulation of the currency, given that we're talking, let's say, a million pounds worth of transactions every year, which, you know, in comparison to Bristol's economy is just, you know, a tiny drip in the ocean. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's not really making an impact. So partway through last year, when I was, you know, because I'd been tasked with, can you please fix the Bristol pound? And, you know, I'd identified, okay, we need some different value propositions for businesses and individuals, and we need to think about our marketing tone of voice and our communications. How do we, you know, spread this to a wider audience? We did a bit of work, you know, refreshing our brand and the colors and, you know, all of that sort of thing. But um, we didn't have the kind of money to invest in an, a completely new technical platform, which um, was, again, one of the other things which I haven't mentioned, but that was a, a, acting as a blocker to us. We were unable to offer the kind of user experience because um, you know, we just didn't have the money to just keep investing in keeping that up to the minute. And of course, since 2012, the, the competition in the field of payments has hugely increased. You know, we've now got Google Pay and Apple Pay and everyone's used to just you know, whacking their phone down on a on a point of sale terminal, um, things have got very frictionless. And you know, to try and keep pace with the kind of budgets for development that Google Pay and Apple Pay have, you know, there's just no way Bristol Pound could could really do that. So I started to think about what's going to come after the Bristol Pound, and what's the next phase of the Bristol Pound's grand experiment in changing the economy. And um, so I started to think about things rather differently. In many respects, the Bristol pound, you would call it a local currency, but it was just fancy sterling. It was sterling with some extra rules about where you could spend it and some pretty artwork on the notes. But it was basically a sterling product. You know, the money all sits in a sterling bank account. And so I started to think, well, if it's just sterling um, you know, with a different payment platform, actually, we could seek to achieve the kinds of environmental and sustain, you know, sustainable and social 
just you know kind of impacts that we want to make in a different way instead of doing it by circulating a special sort of uh, sterling let's say look anyone can use the sterling on this on this new platform and that way we get to operate at, sta- at scale and get to have an offer which is relevant to everybody and hopefully we can start to capture significant quantities of transactions in Bristol instead of just you know, a few very woke people, um, you know, doing their bit with a very few uh, businesses. Instead, this could operate at scale across the entire economy. It could then start to generate some surpluses, which we could invest in environmental and social projects. But also, if we have got a new payment um, structure, payment infrastructure, we could use that to work with some real alternative currencies, as in something non-sterling back to something which is definitely a, you know, a, a token, if you like, rather than, you know, pound sterling by another name, um, and do something quite exciting. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, we formed a relationship with, um, um, you know, a new supplier, um, in March, they're called Pagey Limited, and they've already got an e-wallet platform. Uh, and but at the moment, all it does is just sterling payments, and it's used in a variety of white label scenarios. So this would be the first time that they could use their platform to actually to actually deliver uh, a community-based payment solution. So they're very excited about that, uh, and they're also very excited to be involved in a, in the experimentation of how that could actually help create a greener, fairer, stronger society. So the kinds of things we're thinking of with these tokens is, well, you've probably heard of let's and time banking. So that's one way we could do this to, especially as we come out of COVID and there's going to be, you know, quite a lot of unemployed people out there or underemployed people, but with great skills. And actually, if we're trying to get communities to meet each other's needs and also to reduce reliance on you know, massive consumerism, oh, you know, I, I need to put off shelf, I'll go buy a drill, I'll go buy this, you know, everyone just buys things the whole time. And actually, one, we don't really have the money to do that. And consumer credit, you know, is not necessarily the way through this. The way through this is actually, well, how could we stop some of those needless um, purchases, which are just damaging. It's each one is embodied carbon. Each one is, you know, using precious resources. And then you use it three times and it sits in your attic for the next six years until you happen to do another bit of DIY. And during that time, you know, the mites and spiders or whatever or mice have chewed through the thing and, you know, it just doesn't work anymore. It's just been a useless purchase. Really. Instead, you know, through those things like let's currencies, we can encourage sharing of goods in a community setting. So it might be, for example, I cut your hair. Actually, that's probably not a good idea. Um, but, you know, I could cut your hair uh, and you could give me a token to say thank you. And I could pay that token forward to my neighbor who's got a drill that I could borrow. And meanwhile, he could pay it forward to a mate down the allotments who's got a glut of projects that he's not going to get through otherwise. And so you start to find ways in which you know, communities can bind together through non-sterling currencies without the need for cash and start to create, you know, another side to the economy other than just the market economy where everything is about price and nothing is about true value. Mm. Um, So that's one use of the tokens. But another is thinking about how they could be used to nudge behavior. And some cities have already 
uh, thought about some of this stuff. You know, in Hull, they, they were doing an experiment where, you know, if, if you run around, the, you know, run around the park or something, you earn yourself some Hull coins, and that's helping keep Hull people fitter and helping, therefore, the local economy and helping the health service and, you know, all kinds of great stuff. So I was thinking, okay, actually, there's a lot we could do with that kind of token. You know, for example, there could be one scheme which is saying you can earn tokens through taking your reusable coffee cup, lunch container and water bottle um, as you go around your daily business. And each time you, you know, buy your sandwich or buy your coffee or whatever and you say, you know, put it in this container, when you pay in Bristol Pay, they also pay you back a token to say thank you. Uh, it might be that we have yep, smart bollards in our parks and on cycle paths and things. Clocking when you, you know, it recognizes, I don't know, the chip in your bike or whatever as you go by and it recognizes, oh, good, you know, this person is keeping fit and, or avoiding using public transport or their car. And actually, we can uh, give them a thank you um, for, for doing that. And then we can find ways of, you know, where could we use those thank yous? And it might be, for example, that we can use them to create yet more good. So, for example, if I want volunteers to help in the local park, I might want to run a little training scheme. Uh, and so I say, oh, you can pay for this training scheme in tokens. So then, you know, you're then training people up to, to do some gardening or whatever it is in the local park and create some, you know, some green benefits there. Um, equally, I mean, I've been talking to you know, uh, um, renewable energy companies and to you know, our local water uh, board, for example, and thinking about how tokens could be used to incentivize minimizing resource use for water or change, shifting the pattern of resource use for energy. Because if you're a renewable energies producer, there are certain times of day when you've got loads and loads of energy and other times of day or you know, during uh, endless rain where there's no wind and no sun, you know, you might have a couple of weeks where actually en energy production is quite low and you, you would like to kind of encourage people to think about when they're going to do you know, their loads of washing or their whatever it is to, to try and fit in with, with uh, when there's peak production. So that there's all sorts of different ways in which we could design a token scheme to help um, deliver good. And what's what's great in Bristol is we already have something called the One City Plan. This is a kind of, um, you know, a stakeholder produced um, vision for the city, um, you know, panned out over the next 20, 30 years or something, thinking, where do we want Bristol to be? You know, how, what are our aspirations for the city? And, of course, there's things like zero carbon in there. There's stuff about community in there. There's, you know, there's all sorts. Um, and actually, uh, if we're going to make that happen, we need some kind of incentive system to help uh, explain to people you know, what changes we'd like them to make and then encourage them to do it. So I think that actually um, now might be a fantastic time for that kind of token scheme to, to really take hold. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so we, we've got ideas for the future which are really very different, even though the aims are, are very much our original aims. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it makes me sort of get a sense of to, to what extent, you know, it may have started as a, an alternative currency, but now it's basically working out ways to, to share other kinds of value, not necessarily monetary value, but values around what you should buy, what you shouldn't buy, what you can share, you know, what you can pass on and uh, all kinds of values around what it means to be human as well. And I think that's really fascinating. Um, and it, it sort of makes me think, you know, um, in terms of the payments aspects, um, so many uh, 
parts of payments these days are going more global. They're scaling to a bigger level. You have things like, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Google Pay, Apple Pay, all these big wallets appearing. You have um, currency unions forming around the world. But it um, looks like what you're doing with Crystal County is, is so much more local than that. And I was wondering if perhaps you could speak to that idea of scale specifically, like what what are the benefits of scaling down activity, both with respect to the payments aspect, but also that sharing aspect you're speaking of? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right that the, we've always been going against that globalization trend. However, what I would say is that um, we, we do have, if you like, global aspirations in that uh, if we can localize Bristol's economy and uh, and you know, create a token scheme that is really helping to deliver change you know, here at a local level, well, this is something that we can then replicate in, in other localities. So, you know, hopefully it'll be Bristol Pay today and Manchester Pay tomorrow and, uh, you know, Leeds Pay and whatever, York Pay, you know, whatever. Well, we can, we can take this elsewhere. We can even take it, uh, you know, into Europe and, and beyond because actually in most, uh, rich nations, the, the problems are similar in terms of, um, you know, this reliance on, on a global marketplace and, you know, problems around uh, you know, living beyond our means in terms of our carbon footprints, uh, and, and a disintegrating, um, feeling of community in many parts of the world. So, you know, I think these are, this is replicable. And then if we can have, you know, localized thriving, um, economies, you know, in lots of different places, then we're having global impact. Um, mm. So I think it, it, it's it's about what sort of globalization there is. And, you know, I mean, I'm also a, a realist. You know, um, I like coffee. And frankly, we're not going to be growing coffee in in Bristol anytime soon. But, you know, one, maybe I could be encouraged to drink some other things other than coffee. And two, at least we could keep this down to only importing the things that we really need to import. You know, for example, if you eat lamb, um, we produce plenty of lamb in this country, but actually we export most of that, and then we tend to import a load of lamb from New Zealand. You're like, well, what is this about? Why do we do this? I have no idea why this happens. Mm. Um, it's, um, I'm sure there are, you know, there are good systemic reasons why it happens um, to do with you know, trade regulations and tariffs and everything, but it's not helpful. So, um, you know, I would like to find ways in which we can really link up and create. So it's not just about circular, circular money. It's about circular, local circular economies where you're thinking you're trying to tie in. I mean, let's keep the food as an example. Um, I, I went to a, a circular economy conference at the uh, OECD last summer, and they were saying that in the areas of both food and construction, nearly every city could um, supply 80 percent, maybe, of its needs within a 50 mile radius of that city. You know, all cities have, you know, some rock under the earth nearby. All cities have some farmable land nearby. Uh, and if we could just get those things to focus on the city's needs and get them, you know, supplying into the city, that would be that would be such a great start. So, yeah, the, to a certain extent, you don't need a finance platform to do that circular economy work it's a lot about brokerage and and 
you know, getting the systems in place to enable those uh, models to develop. But um, I think the reason we're still focusing on, on money is that the, I think the only way the tokens are going to take off is if everybody is using the payment, you know, Bristol Pay anyway, then we can, you know, get these localized tokens on there. And those localized tokens are really only going to be relevant within the local economy in which they've been produced. You know, um, yes, maybe, you know, once there are several cities on here, I can uh, I can go and use sterling that I've got in my Bristol Pay account in Manchester. But probably mm. my Bristol thanks are only going to be relevant to Bristol schemes. You know, it's only going to be Bristol businesses and the, you know, my local cinema that's going to say, oh, yes, um, yeah, we'll give you a discount or we'll give you a freebie because you've got so many Bristol thanks stored up. But I just call them thanks. That is probably the word we're going to use for the kind of exchangeable tokens. We're thinking there'll be another kind of token, by, by the way, as well on the platform, which would be more of like a, a reputation token, which we were thinking might be called respects. So if you've done, you know, a hundred loans out of your toolkit and you've also, you know, engaged with the taking your own cup and stuff everywhere and, you know, cycled, well, then you might have earned yourself three kind of respects points because you're really engaging in activities that are helping to create a better Bristol. And those aren't tradable. Those are like, you know, how many O-levels you've got, if you're as old as me. Um, and, uh, you know, no, you can't give those away. They're just something you've earned, uh, and they're like a badge of honour. So, yeah, we're thinking about all these different uses of tokens, really. But that's what makes it local, I think, to answer your question. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, so a few minutes ago you mentioned research that you had done a survey um, on some of these issues. I was wondering uh, what other research uh, you have done or what other research you draw upon, and in order to achieve your future goals, what research might you need to do? Right. Well, um, what, what research have we done? Um, with the University of Bristol last year, we did some research into what small businesses need because you know, I was trying to understand, well, why aren't businesses you know, using a Bristol pound? And you know, the answer was, we, as I briefly mentioned, we didn't really have a value proposition for them. Um, we had said, oh, we'd maybe bring some more customers to their door, and we didn't. But we were so busy you know, working on a problem up here that we didn't really have any solutions for people, you know, on an individual customer thing. You know, usually if you're going to start a business, you download the business model canvas and you start to identify your customer segments. And for each customer segment, you say, oh, what's the value proposition for them? You know, what's in it for them? Why are they going to sign up to this? And we hadn't really got that because we were just too focused on this problem way up here, which was you know, out of everyone's sight and which doesn't really speak to people personally. You know, it's like, why would I join the Bristol Pound Orgs? Because you're doing this wonderful thing up here. It's like, yeah, it doesn't affect me on my day to day life. You know, that most people need something a bit more tangible. So we, we did research um, with the with the University of Bristol. So what is it that would be a value proposition for small businesses? And they said, right. Um, Small business, this was after three months, obviously, of research. They came up with small businesses need help with networking and uh, with marketing and with business support. You know, many small businesses, they start a business, they know about, I don't know, chocolate brownies or plumbing or, you know, whatever it is that they're doing in their business. They aren't ready-made SEO uh 
you know, how to set up a website and make it work. They don't really know much about social media. They don't really know about networking or who they should be networking with. They don't really know when they're supposed to be registering for VAT and what does it mean when you first take on a member of staff. You know, there's a whole load of, of stuff. Uh, and actually, you know, for little small businesses, it can be quite quite difficult to, to get going on that. And there's a lot of learning that, that, that uh, businesses can do from each other. So, um, yeah, that there has been research into the impacts of the Bristol Pound so far, and that has generally been a bit meh. And that's one of the reasons we need to do something different for the future. In terms of what, uh, what uh, research I need, well, I'm working with the University of Bath at the moment on um, – that uh, their master students are coming up with, uh, having done a bit of research again with small businesses, I sent them the problem of how could you get businesses to kind of self-audit themselves in a nice, easy way against the global sustainable development goals? You know, ha that, because frankly, most people, that's too complicated for most small businesses. And, and if you, um, you know, if you think to yourself, oh, right, actually, I would like to be a good business. I'd like to understand what to do about, uh, you know, how to be more sustainable. You'll, if you just start Googling that, what you get back on the Internet is a load of stuff about, you know, consultancies who can help you measure your carbon footprint and, you know, all this sort of, it's just way above people's heads and not terribly helpful on a day-to-day -day thing. So they're helping us uh, develop a tool that will really help both um, monitor year on year where businesses are, but also always give them, well, this is the next step in your journey. This is what you could do next. And it'll be based on really, really simple questions. So, you know, question one might be, have you ever thought about your energy bills? Yes, no, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, just nice. The idea is they shouldn't have to look anything up, really. It should just be stuff they know about their business. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be able to just be taken on a journey. So that's exciting. I'm also talking to University of the West of England and trying to work out how I can get the funding together for them to do some work specifically around the new tokens that we're, we're trying to develop. Um, there is it's tricky. We know we've got to have a value proposition for people. They're only going to get involved with these tokens if they think it's worth their while, if they feel there's something in it for them. Yes. Yeah, so the other bit of research I'd really like to do is, is um, I'm trying to get the funding together to do it with the University of the West of England into the token stuff. So what we want to do is build on people and build and encourage people's intrinsic uh, motivations to do things that are good for society, good for the environment. Uh, and reward them for that in a way that is meaningful so that they want to get engaged, but not at a level where it's going to turn that intrinsic motivation into an extrinsic motivation where they think I'm just doing this because it, it gives me you know, a free cinema ticket every week and that's what I'm doing it for. And if they stop the free cinema ticket scheme, I won't bother. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be tricky. And I think we need to, to do quite a lot of research around that, both to understand the level of current intrinsic motivation out there to do different things and also the level to which you know, people say um, they would be you know, excited by doing things and then test that out with some real action research. So with some pilot schemes using tokens in perhaps a couple of very deprived neighborhoods, um, you know, a middle income neighborhood and, and a more affluent neighborhood, um, just to try and understand, you know, how different 
um, you know, because if we're trying to make something that works right across Bristol, I think we need to understand that actually the people in Bristol are pretty different. You know, there, there are extremes of, of, of poverty and wealth and, you know, different, different ethnic origins and different geographical communities. And, you know, so that there's, there is some work to be done on that. Another area that we need to do some, some research, uh, as part of a kind of feasibility study is and what we're hoping to do is find ways in which the tokens can interact with real money so that you know I've earned some tokens for doing this good stuff over here and this business will then give me a discount or whatever and it might just be that that has to be something that that business is giving away but I would like it to be that that business can then use that and to be encouraged to do something else, like, for example, to join this green business scheme that I was describing that we might be setting up thanks to the University of Bath project. So, but then that token would be seen as having a value and then suddenly, oh, the tax man might be interested. He might say, I'm sorry, your benefits are going to be, um, you know, because this, this token is now deemed to have a value, anything you do in the community to earn tokens might be considered as taxable income even though it's not in sterling. And uh, and equally, you know, the shops might be having to ring up and pay VAT on, on sales that they haven't actually been paid for. And actually, you know, I want them, I'm asking everyone to do something extra outside business as usual, outside the normal economy. And so the normal fiscal measures, I don't think should apply. But But there is a lot of work to be done to unpick that kind of case law and understand the tax treatment of these things and come up with something which is both fair to, to you know, to the tax authorities and encourages, you know, the, the kinds of um, altruistic behavior, basically, that we're trying to develop. So, yeah, it's all it's all pretty, it's all pretty difficult. There's a lot of research to be done, but uh, it's a question of trying to find the funding to do that research because, most universities are not in the position where they can just say, oh, you want us to do this research? Fine, we'll, we'll drop everything, come do this research for you. Yeah, it sounds like you need a research institute of your own as well. So many ideas to explore. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that's about it from, from my end. Karina, would you like to continue the question? Yes, I would love to. So uh, I'm going to shift a little bit gears now to the Anthropology and Technology Conference um, and, and kind of explore that space uh, together. I'm not sure if I mentioned that before, but I'm going to mention it now just in case. Erin, you are the uh, the host of the FinTech stream, correct? That's right, yeah. Uh, and Diana, you are one of the participants in that stream. So uh, a question for you, Diana, here. What, what motivated you to join the Anthropology and Technology Conference? Well, it was really that conversation with Dawn where she explained what the conference was about uh, and, and invited me. And uh, well, I pretty much bit her hand off because you know, I'm always looking to, to try and find ways to test out my ideas, take them further, you know, explain them, get a conversation going. You know, these ideas are are early, you know, they're young, they're experimental. Um, and so this kind of, you know, cutting edge conference where we're, we're playing with ideas and concepts to, to, you know, to see what can take us to the next stage and what can create solutions that are, you know, that meet human problems with technology. You know, that's, that's exactly the conversations I want to be having. 
Mm. Any, can you give us a little sneak peek into the topic that you will be talking about or is it too early oh. for that? No, no. I mean, I'll be talking about a lot of the same stuff I've talked about mm. today, really. In fact, hopefully I, I may have just spoiled the whole thing. Because maybe <laughs> I've spilled too many beans already, but this is definitely what I'll be exploring. Yeah. Any any particular uh, thing to reflect on or question for the anthropologists out there in the audience that are uh, considering to come um, and and uh, listen to you? Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it is really that behavior change piece, that nudge thing, you know, and that conundrum of how do you how do you encourage people and reward people for doing something? Um, but at the same time, not to make them feel that they're only doing it for the reward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What what is the what's going on there? It, it's a subtle thing, and I need to understand it. So that that that's what I'd like people to think mm -hmm. about. There might be some interesting um, ideas in all the literature from anthropology on reciprocity. I think. Yeah, I was mm. thinking about that too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely conversations and, to be had there. Absolutely, and I think as well. Because we're talking about businesses as well as individuals, and businesses are different animals. I mean, there are only groups mm. of people, but the way be businesses behave is quite different to the way individuals behave, um, partly because of the kind of regulatory thing, but a lot because I mean, the whole idea of limited is limited liability. Each person feels like, yeah, but it's not really me doing this. It's the mm. company. And I'm not really personally at risk of, you know, someone telling me I'm nasty or, you know, suing me or whatever. Uh, it'll be the company. And and I think as a result, uh, companies often don't really, well, they, they don't hardly ever think about anything other than the bottom line and return on investment to shareholders. Um, the very few businesses, okay, an increasing number now we have things like B Corp, are putting their social purpose or their, you know, some greater purpose than shareholder return front and center. Mm -hmm. um, but even, even those that are don't necessarily have quite the right, um, you know, that, that, that limited, you know, entity, legal entity does depersonalize. So I, I think there's, that's another piece of work that we need to do. How, how do we bring uh, personal responsibility um, and think about impacts on that much more personal level and bring that into businesses rather than people just kind of taking off their overcoat of values and things at the door when they go to work? Yeah, yeah, that is an excellent question. I think one that really underlies the entire conference and not just the fintech stream. Yeah, I, I wanted to to ask you to speak a little bit more of the value of actually attending these these this you know these these rituals that we call conferences. Like, uh, what what do you think the value is in it? Particularly now, if you're looking at you know moving this type of spaces also online, um, experimenting with different ways of of coming together uh, uh, as a group around a question or a topic, where do you see the value of that space for you? To me, it is absolutely vital. I mean, if I'm if I'm really honest, I haven't had an original thought in my entire life. You know, all of the ideas that have gone into the, you know, both, um, you know, how I've run the Bristol Pounds so far since I take on and uh, and how I've thought about developing the future of Bristol Pay. All of those are ideas I have picked up 
at things like, you know, boot camps and conferences and workshops um, uh, with usually, you know, a mixed set of people bringing ideas from different things. And, and I am, you know, picking up fag ends and hoovering up ideas and and then, you know, building it into, you know, my own, you know, amalgam of, uh, of an idea. Mm. Um, it, it just wouldn't happen. I wouldn't I wouldn't have had any of these thoughts without those sorts of uh, conferences and gatherings where where you have a variety of people saying really interesting things. And in particular, you know, I think a mix of academics who bring, you know, an understanding of research, uh, but also are freed up from the perhaps real life, you know, ugh, well, that will never work. You know that they're able to be much more, um, you know, positive and you know less constrained than mm-hmm. than perhaps people. But at the same time, when you then meet the other people from companies or from you know other people who are doing real life work, um, you know, not just academic. I wonder if well, you know an experiment here, experiment there. You know, then you you start here. Well, yeah, no, we tried that, but it didn't work because in reality, blah, you know, so you get that, you get that richness mm. of input from, yeah, from such a variety of, of perspectives. And, you know, it, it's just invaluable. Nice. Erin, coming back to you uh, now, um, anything else that you would like to share with our listeners in particularly around the, the FinTech stream? Sure. Yeah, I think um, so far we have a, a pretty nice lineup of it's a real, actually a real mixture of different kinds of um, people. We have people who run um, small companies offering services in credit and also savings who've taken quite a different approach. They do a lot of research that showed that actually the, the main thing that people are missing is savings products, not actually necessarily credit, is people really want to be able to save. So that's one example. Uh, we have another participant who comes from a legal background and focuses on human rights, so she'll be talking mm. more about that aspect of, of uh, fintech as well. Um, and I'll also be talking. I'm not really quite sure about what yet. I thought I'd wait till the other speakers decide, and then I may end up just doing a kind of an anthropological kind of, you know, mm overview of the different uh, speakers there. But yeah, I would say that the benefit of the stream is absolutely the diversity of the speakers who will be present. Such such a great mixture of people. Yeah, really cool. I can't, I, anything, uh, anything that you would like to maybe uh, share as last uh, comments to those of us still considering joining the conference? Yeah, I would say um, if you just feel you're ever if you're working in this kind of space, whether it be the, for the fintech stream mm. and conference or just in technology generally, and you're looking for new ideas, I would reiterate what um, Diana said, which is that this is a, such a good place to come if you want to think differently. If you're thinking, mm. hmm, you know, I'm not sure that my business or my organization is quite uh, on board with what's happening, whether we should be doing things differently, whether we should be doing research, for example, what kind of research we should be doing. This is the place to come to get more ideas about how to uh, perhaps uh, adapt or change your practices um, to better serve both your, yourself in the future, uh, your organization, and also the, the uh, consumers or, or you end users that actually um, you engage with. Nice. Thank you so much. Uh, and for our listeners, we will be having a second podcast episode with one of the other speakers um, on the on, on the stream, also with Erin. I will put the link to that episode below. Um, and also all the additional information about uh, the conference itself um, and also the speakers. 
Thank you so much for being with me today and looking forward to seeing you uh, also at the conference. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.